the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business, jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. we got a jam-packed lineup of content, information, guests you won't want to miss. It's a live show. You can call into the studio here in Elk Grove Village, 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. And we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Check them out online, TandemHR.com, or give them a call, 630 630- Nine two eight zero five one zero, and it is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I know there are many uh, very successful moms that uh, also uh, run small businesses and uh, are fantastic entrepreneurs. So happy Mother's Day to all of you. Happy Mother's Day to my mother that I know is tuning in from Maricopa, Arizona. Happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law, who I just left a few hours ago, who's tuning in from Skokie, Illinois. Lots of mothers out there, and happy Mother's Day to all of you and to all of the mothers in your life. So I've been thinking a lot about businesses all over. Um, If you go on my website, and shameless plug, that's where you can download podcasts from Get Down to Business. We've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of segments and hundreds of interviews with fantastic thought leaders, many from the Chicagoland area, um, but many from beyond as well. And I've been thinking a lot about what are the similarities, what are the uh, areas of, uh, what are the core competencies of a small business owner that uh, folks have in common. And uh, I've been doing a lot of travel um, over the past few years, but certainly over the past year in particular, I've been traveling a lot for business, quite a bit for pleasure as well. And uh, as I tell everybody uh, that I know well, I always try to squeeze in a little bit of business on my uh, trips for pleasure, and I try to squeeze in a little bit of pleasure on my uh, trips for business, and I think that that has worked out well. But one of the things that I tend to frequent and one of the topics that I tend to gravitate towards is small business. And no matter where I go, I tend to come across fascinating small business owners. And what I found is that no matter where I go in the world, I have come across 
small business owners that are very, very much alike. So let me, I just wanted to share with you for a few minutes now, um, before we bring on our first guest, I wanted to share with you some of my findings and some of my discoveries from that uh, exploration that I've been going through. A small business owner, first and foremost, is somebody that takes ownership. By the way, small business is not something that it really doesn't matter how big or how small your company is. Frankly, I actually think that many people that run organizations are among the most dynamic and entrepreneurial and successful small business. Again, business is often associated with the for-profit world, but it doesn't need to be for-profit. I believe successful entrepreneurs and successful small business owners are in the non-profit world as well. And it's people that are innovative, people that are creative, people that are committed to finding solutions to challenges. Those are small business owners. And that's what I see no matter where I go. Um, those that have uh, developed a sense of ownership over their ideas, that they realize that there is no they. And what I mean by that is that there's nobody else that you can turn to that's going to do it as well as you will and give it as much of a commitment as you will. That's what I've found no matter where I've gone in the world. So I was in Hong Kong um, about half a year ago. And uh, in Hong Kong, as we're, watching, as we're walking through the streets, um, throughout the city, uh, in the different islands of Hong Kong, came across uh, business owners of a little coffee shop, came across uh, folks that run a small restaurant, came across a little souvenir shop. And you could tell almost from a mile away which places are corporately owned and which places are owned by the person that's sitting in the store. You could tell that there's a certain commitment, a certain drive, a certain sense of ownership that they have over every relationship that they uh, that they go about. Again, I've experienced that in Hong Kong, and I have found uh, that everywhere I have gone as well. Let me tell you, uh, on that, that was on the positive side. Let me share with you something on a negative side. Um, this was about six years ago. Um, I was walking up and down the streets of Dempster in Skokie. I know many of our listeners are very familiar with the area. And uh, walking up and down the streets and visiting small business owners, I continue to do that quite a bit, both at Skokie and West Rogers Park, stopping into businesses, introducing myself, listening to what challenges they're facing. I actually enjoy doing that uh, a great deal. I, Whenever I have time, um, and that doesn't happen very frequently, but whenever I have time, uh, I don't use it to sit inside an office or to uh, sit on the phone chatting with somebody. What I like to do is I like to walk. So I'll walk into different businesses and uh, the same held true absolutely six years ago too. So I was walking up and down with a friend of mine um, who uh, works as a banker and we were going up and down Dempster. We popped into a small pizza shop, not because we were hungry, but we actually popped into the pizza shop because we wanted to introduce ourselves and uh, find out how they're doing. They were a fellow Dempster, a fellow Skokie business owner, wanting to hear what challenges are they facing and how can we become an advocate for them. Um, that business owner, uh, I, I take that back, it wasn't a business owner, um, that, that individual that was in the store, they threatened to call the police on us because they said we were trespassing. 
A small business owner would never do that. A small business owner would would appreciate any opportunity to engage, any opportunity to converse with their neighbor. This was a uh, this is somebody that was hired, somebody that was working there at that pizza shop. The same thing happened when we went into the CVS pharmacy down the street. We walked in. You could tell immediately when we asked to speak to the manager, the manager did not uh, swat us out of the store and threatened to call the police um, because they thought that we were soliciting. Instead, um, they gave us lip service and said, nice to meet you, nice to meet you, we'll be in touch, I'll send you an email. And of course, that email never came. Those are the two negative examples. On that same trip, on that same walk up and down Dempster, we came across many small business owners that we walked into their places of business, their storefronts, and we were welcomed. Of course, when a customer came in, they said, I have to run. Of course, because that's what a small business owner does. They work so hard for every single customer and client and, and patron that they can attract. And of course, that has to be the priority. Again, I think that a small business owner and entrepreneur is somebody that has a certain sense of pride, a certain commitment, a certain sense of innovation and ingenuity uh, that other people in business, God bless you. I think everybody that works hard, every professional, I think you uh, you have a lot, and we talk a lot about those qualities on the show. We talk about the different talents and the different uh, the different skill sets that everybody comes, and we've brought on many big business owners on Get Down to Business in the past as well. But when we're talking about small business, there is a certain quality, and it doesn't necessarily mean for-profit. It could be in the non not-for-profit world as well. Those are my observations. I'd love to hear what you think. So get on my website, shalomkline.com. You can contact me, and you can get in touch, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are and how you have discovered small business owners. Are there any similarities? Are there any things in common? Uh, get in touch with me. You could tweet me at Shalom Klein. Uh, we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR. They are our solution center for all small business owners. Lots of great resources, advice, and information relating to the Affordable Care Act and so many other issues you could get on their website. Uh, a fantastic blog, very, very informative. Check out that website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. And uh, coming up over the next few months, I have been writing quite a bit. Um, my book, Get Down to Business, what do you know? Same name as this very radio program. My book will be uh, completed in the coming months. It will be released in fall of 2018. Uh, please follow the progress through the website, shalomkline.com. You'll be able to find out immediately when it's released. And in fact, you can even subscribe to my blog where I post lots of information about events that I'm attending, resources that I'm aware of, whether related to small business, relating to community, which I'm so passionate about, which again is something that small business owners have in common, their commitment to community, their commitment to neighbor neighborhoods, and the commitment to the areas that they are so privileged to work in. So you could get all of that information on my website, shalomkline.com. Tweet me at shalomkline. Coming up, we've got a uh, fantastic treat for you. Our first guest will be on the program. Paul Herbert will be joining me on Get Down to Business. You don't want to miss it, Chicago, so don't touch that dial. The show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship is returning in just a moment. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, this show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am thrilled to be joined by Dr. Paul Herbert 
um, who is the executive director of the First Division Museum at Cantigny. Um, there is a very uh, special commemoration, and I'm thrilled to have Dr. Herbert um, as our guest. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. So for our listeners that have uh, that have not been following the McCormick Foundation's uh, fantastic uh, press releases and, and, and publicity about uh, the upcoming Battle of Cantigny anniversary, um, please enlighten us. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you. Tell us about the Battle of Cantigny. Yeah, well, um, we're named, uh, we're at Cantigny Park in Wheaton, and we're named for a little village in France uh, where the first American battle of World War I took place on May 28, 1918, uh, actually till May 31st. Uh, and that will be 100 years uh, ago this month. Uh, and, and it happens to coincide with the Memorial Day weekend. And so we're having a number of activities throughout that weekend uh, to observe that uh, very important centennial. Absolutely. So, uh, Dr. Herbert, tell, uh, give me a little bit of background on, on you and how uh, you've become such an expert um, and, uh, and a thought leader on, on this topic. How did you, uh, what's your story? How did you uh, become interested? Well, I'm a retired military officer, and, um, uh, and I've got a pretty good academic uh, background in military history. And for the last 14 years, I've been the executive director of the First Division Museum at Cantini Park, uh, dedicated to the 1st Infantry Division of the U.S. Army. So we tell 101 years of American history through the story of that division. Uh, we, we do that because our benefactor, Colonel Robert R. McCormick, uh, who formerly owned the um, Tribune, uh, among his many, many other accomplishments, he was a citizen soldier in the 1st Division in World War I. And so that's, he's the one who named the Park Cantini after the battle, and, uh, uh, and he's the person who uh, established this legacy of commitment uh, to not only our soldiers, but our service members and our veterans. So there is going to be a uh, a large uh, ceremony uh, at 11 a.m. as you said on Memorial Day weekend on May 26th. Coming up, it's literally right around the corner, commemorating the men who fought and died in the battle. What can people expect then? But also, what takes place beyond the commemoration? What uh, what goes on on a regular basis that uh, I think you are uh, quite quite privileged to uh, to live on on a day to day even even aside for uh, for special commemorations yeah, well, let me say one thing real quickly that the special observance at Cantini Park in Wheaton uh, will be on may twenty eighth oh, the twenty sixth ceremony is in Cantini, France ah. uh, and so we're observing this important centennial uh, in a couple uh, of different places and at a couple of different times. But here in the Chicago area, it's May 28th. Now, there'll be things going on at Cantini Park all through the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and so people can come out there at any time. They'll, we're having concerts and special events. The American Legion will be there distributing poppies. Uh, and it's just it's a great time and occasion for people to visit Cantini Park. Uh, on a regular basis, the park is is phenomenally beautiful. 
we're, we're re-landscaping it at the moment, so it looks like it ought to be closed because <laughs> of all the heavy equipment and fencing and things, but we're not closed. We're, all of our facilities are open. Uh, the one that I direct is the First Division Museum. Uh, we just did the first extensive renovation of the museum uh, last year uh, for the centennial of the First Division. Uh, and if I do say so myself, it's a fantastic museum. And if you have an hour or two, uh, and even if you have seen it before, but you haven't seen it since we reopened last August, uh, it's, it's worth the trip. Uh, interesting. So this is a uh, centennial celebration, 100 years. So uh, what, uh, if I may ask, what, uh, what has changed and what, uh, what do you see as, as uh, being quite uh, the same as, uh, as 100 years ago in, in, the, in the world of war and in the world of battle? Uh, obviously, you being a retired military officer yourself, I know that the First Division Museum, you have a number of displays and exhibits of some of the uh, vehicles and 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 war uh, war uh, tanks and and other fleets. Uh, in in I'm I'm curious what similarities and differences uh, you see between a uh, uh, hundred years ago and now. <laughs> yeah, well, a hundred years ago, uh, we we our, our army was organized differently than it is today. And I would say one of the big differences is that the the periods between war and peace tended to be very clear. Uh, we declared war in April of 1917. We sent 2 million troops uh, to France over the next 18 months. Uh, we fought vicious battles that brought World War I to an end with the armistice in November of 1918. Uh, we immediately demobilized the troops, brought them home, uh, and there was 20 years of peacetime before uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor got us into another war. Uh, Today, it seems, uh, uh, you know, we're all very thankful that we are not at war, uh, certainly not a war on the scale of World War I anywhere on the planet, but our military is very, very busy all around the world uh, because it's protecting our security interests and the interests of our allies, and so it's a very busy military, uh, and sometimes that's uh, that's violent activity. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, often it's not violent activity. It's the presence of the American military. So that's a difference. Um, one of the similarities that I like to observe is that uh, in World War One, American leaders, officers, generals were confronted with an array of dazzling new technology. It 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 looks old fashioned to us. But when you think about it, uh, uh, trucks with motors instead of horses and wagons, aircraft, electronic communications, weapons of mass destruction in the form of gas, um, all kinds of new technologies that had not existed 10 years before the war. Um, And uh, our military is dealing with a a similar uh, array uh, of new and, and sometimes sort of strange technologies uh, today, and so that's a similarity. Uh, the other thing that is similar uh, that hasn't changed a bit is that uh, in the First Division, in the Army, and then our armed services, uh, it's about brave young Americans who take an oath to go where we the people send them uh, and put themselves at risk on our behalf. Uh, and that that is why 
we make a big deal about Memorial Day and Veterans Day uh, and anniversaries such as the Battle of Cantini. Well, that's very, very helpful. Once again, we're chatting with Dr. Paul Herbert, um, who directs the First Division Museum. Um, the upcoming commemoration of, of the Battle of Cantini is coming up um, May 28th. If you want to get to France, it's May 26th, um, and I made that mistake, but uh, May 28th uh, in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, so uh, I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Herbert, so again, uh, you direct the First Division Museum, um, the First Infantry Division. Um, so what was it a uh, hundred years ago? You, you've talked a lot about the war history, but what was the uh, First Infantry Division then and uh I'm curious, what is it uh, currently? Well, uh, in layperson's terms, a division is a team of teams. Uh, it's a very big military organization. It varies anywhere from fifteen to 25,000 soldiers. Uh, and in that organization is everything that would be needed to operate on a battlefield. So it's not only infantry, uh, foot soldiers with rifles, but it's the artillery, it's the communications, it's the logistical support, it's the intelligence, the reconnaissance, the engineering, the aviation, all of the other things that makes that organization capable of doing many, many different things on a battlefield. That's what a division is. Uh, the first division is called the first division because it's America's first division. <laughs> we, we, we didn't have permanently established divisions before World War One. The first one we organized, we called the First Division, and it's been on active duty uh, every day for 101 years now. So, Dr. Herbert, I, I want to make sure we squeeze in um, the information or how people can learn more about the centennial celebration of the Battle of Cantini. How can people learn more? Best way is to go to our website, uh, fdmuseum.org. That's F like in fox, D like in dog, museum.org. It stands for firstdivisionmuseum.org. Well, I hope our Go listeners will check it out, fdmuseum.org. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Paul Herbert. Uh, we'll be back and get down to business after this quick break. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are powered by Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510. Always love the feedback that comes in. Thank you for the comments, kind words about my little monologue and rant about the common themes of small business owners. I meant every word of it, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have said it. Um... So uh, I wanted to talk to you about difficult conversations, and this is a theme that I'm going to continue um, over the coming weeks. Um, I get uh, probably more people that uh, I would use the Yiddish word of kvetch, um, but in in English that would mean um, nag and complain to me about difficult conversations. Um, so there's definitely... Uh, people that uh, have challenges and sometimes it's people that constantly talk don't come up for error sometimes it's accents it's sometimes hard 
for people to understand, disrespectful language, unfulfilled promises. These are all things that people have complained to me about, and I certainly have feelings on many of those topics. So um, not only do I have feelings about those topics, I also have strategies. And I wanted to encourage um, our listeners to actually, in this case, to kvetch. And that's, uh, once again, that Yiddish word for uh, complain to me. But don't call me with every one of those complaints. Go on my website, shalomkline.com. Submit your stories to me. You may just hear your kvetch and your rant um, on the air with me. So uh, the most common difficult conversations in business is with an upset customer. So I've discovered some strategies um, that work the majority of the time. But remember that some people choose to always be angry and there's basically nothing you can do to help them. But you can choose to remain calm and take nothing personally. So the, um, the first is regarding emotion versus logic. When a customer calls you with a complaint, they're emotional, they're upset, they're angry, disappointed, frustrated, or maybe all of the above. They're unable in the moment that they call you to participate in a logical conversation. The best way to understand this is to think about your life and someone close to you. Think about the last time you had a conversation with this person during which you were both emotional. Which one of you was listening? Exactly. That's my point. Don't try to engage the customer in a logical conversation until they finish telling you the story of why they're upset. I realize that this can make for a very, very long phone call, but remember, they are your customers, so you have to deal with it. Interrupting them is like fuel on a fire. It'll only serve to make them more upset and make a difficult situation more complicated. Speed. Upset customers will be speaking quickly, and this does impact how we should communicate with them. You can take advantage of the phone's ability to be a mirror by slowing down your own speech and maintaining a very calm, pleasant tone. The customer will be drawn to mimic you, and although this won't solve the customer's problems, it will improve your ability to understand them. And apologize. I know I'll get pushback on this piece, but apologize near the beginning of the conversation. When the customer has told you their story, told you everything about why they're upset, the first words out of your mouth should be, I'm sorry. Now that I'm not advocating that you take the blame for anything, you can't say something like, I'm so sorry, we never want our customers to have this experience, or I'm sorry that this is happening to you. What's important is that the customer hears an apology. The words, I'm sorry, have incredible power, so use it to calm the customer down, make them less defensive, and improve your ability to communicate. And move towards logic. In order to resolve the situation, your customer must be able to have a conversation, to listen to you, to respond to questions. They stay in a place of high emotion. This won't be possible. You have to do your best to guide them back to logic. And you could do this by asking them an open-ended question, a question they will have to think about in order to give you an answer. This will prompt them to engage the logical part of their brain. You're not making any promises with this question, simply creating an atmosphere where a productive conversation can take place. So think about how you might be able to ask a question, and if you were asked that question, what would you say? And put your ego away. Dealing with an upset customer is never about who's right and who's wrong. It's about keeping the customer. Don't allow... Uh, your need to be right to enter the conversation will create animosity and miscommunication. And finally, finally, pick up the phone. Under no circumstance, if you hear of a complaint, should you hide behind email with an upset customer? You need to hear their tone of voice. You need to ask questions and get answers in real time, unless, of course, you don't want to keep them as your customer. And that may indeed be the case. So think about those tips. Once again, summarize. You want to start with emotion versus logic, speed, 
apologize, the move towards logic, putting your ego away and picking up the phone. These are all the things that I've discovered that works well when you are in business and dealing with an upset customer. We've got a lot more coming up for you on Get Down to Business. I'm going to be joined by David Markovich of Online Geniuses coming up in just a moment. Lots of tips. I hope you enjoyed the business tip of the week. Once again, I'd encourage you to get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can find other business tips, but also please do share your experiences with me. I actually do want to hear it, but uh, again, be respectful. We mentioned uh, that a moment ago. Be respectful. Share your experiences. I want to hear what they are. And more importantly, I'd love to hear how you have dealt with some of those challenges in your own small business. That's what it's all about. It's about sharing. Once again, check out our sponsors, TandemHR.com. They have a great blog with great experiences about the Affordable Care Act. And uh, you'll learn a lot, I'm sure. They provide a free consultation to every one of our listeners that calls, 302-642-5600. 302-642-5600 is our studio line. You can call Tandem HR, 630-928-0510. Once again, David Markovich, Online Geniuses, will be joining me in just a moment. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I'm thrilled to be joined by our next guest, David Markovich, who is an internet marketing consultant. Um, David, welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you for having me, Shalom. Absolutely. So uh, we'll talk about internet marketing. We'll talk about, uh, I know there's actually quite a bit uh, that uh, that you have uh, areas of expertise in, but let's talk about the man behind the telephone. Let's talk uh, a little bit about your background. What kicked off your online career? Um, So I was always into... uh uh, digital marketing or just technology as a whole. And I had the opportunity to work in uh, an e-commerce store just focusing on selling kids' socks. And it was uh, specifically good niche because there wasn't stores um, that had that type of inventory just because there wasn't that high of a markup. So what the company I worked for did was buy up every possible combination of socks, put them online, and um, people could order. So, like, if you needed, if you had a play and you needed twenty pairs of the same size socks, you couldn't necessarily get them in stores. It would be a really hard task. Um, from there, you know, ended up working for agencies, starting agencies, building tools, um, and so on and so forth. So I guess that's the genesis <laughs> of my marketing story. Uh, I love it. And um, if there's one word that I think that uh, you're associated with more than anything, it's a word slack. And slack is something that many of our listeners are likely very familiar with, but some may not be um, quite yet. Um, so tell us a little bit about slack, how you've developed uh, a, a sort of a, a area of expertise and and. Why is it something that small business owners and entrepreneurs uh, should be paying attention to? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my background at Slack is during my uh, career in digital marketing, I met a tremendous amount of people who did what I did, and, and my dream was always to connect connect those people. So I created a small Skype community um, around like 50 people of 
of that I knew in the industry. And from there we grew and we grew till we hit like around 300 people and around like a thousand messages a day. Um, just word got out without any paid marketing and it, the community was getting too big for Skype to handle. And it was around the same time that this software called Slack was coming out. So I took the jump to create the, to move everyone in my, you know, Skype community of 300 people to Slack. And it was a way that we could break up channels and set mute certain notifications, highlight certain words that you get notified by. And currently the community that's on Slack is around 13,000 people. And we host, you know, we don't just communicate online. We also host events in person around the world. We've hosted events in Tunisia, Africa, Barcelona, Spain, New York, and almost every major city. Um, and what Slack is, it's an internal, it's a communication tool. It's not really meant for community building, but it's a communicate, it's a communication tool. So if you're sitting at a desk and you want to speak to accounting in your company, you don't have to go and pick up your phone. You could just type them a quick message. Um, there's a lot of built-in integrations. So they have like their own little app store. So it could, it could essentially be your, you know, the first thing that you open up, uh, when you get into work because everything you need is going to, could and should be there. So you've been a, a very strong uh, proponent for the uh, for the Slack as a platform, but also you have um, you have uh, developed a uh, again a consulting practice where you are helping companies be more, become more effective with communication to uh, to to find uh, uh, experts. And um, you have also been uh, involved in a term called AMA. Um, which I believe stands for Ask Me Anything. And um, a lot of that has been around um, finding experts, really world-renowned experts on different topics and where where small business owners and entrepreneurs and other people can find uh, and get access to those people um, really, really easily. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll talk about, so like as a consultant in Slack, that, that happened by mistake, so... Since I was a uh, early adapter in in the tool, a lot of companies ended up hiring me since my team was so big on Slack that it was very unlikely that a company that would hire me would have more employees that would use Slack than I have, right? So because I have, let's say, 13,000 people, they wouldn't onboard, they wouldn't need to onboard 13,000 people. Let's say it's even 500 or 1,000 people. So I had like the pleasure of working with like Comedy Central and their sister brands and even Google in helping, you know, in certain Slack challenges, building certain uh, Slack bots. And in regards to AMA, I would reach out to people that were in the space doing really interesting things and where you have an hour, it's free, to come in and ask the expert or the specialist in the field uh, any question you would like. And it's called an AMA, so to ask me anything. So you could ask them anything, and mostly they they usually make they usually answer everything, uh, assuming it's in good taste. <laughs> and uh, we we had some interesting guests. So like we had um, even non marketing related. So we just brought in somebody who the movie War Dogs was based on off of, and we also bring in other guests like head of integrated marketing at Red Bull. 
and people of that sort so you could get ideas and it's a really just a superpower lesson of uh of information so you can come in and you can learn a lot about instead of doing like hundreds of hours research about to find a certain tool that could solve a potential problem for you sure um you know, you could just ask them what they use. Well, David, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it there for just a quick moment. We've got to squeeze in a really quick break over here. We're going to be back with David Markovich again, uh, Slack consultant, internet marketing consultant. In just a moment, uh, David, hang on tight. We'll be back and get down to business in just a moment. Welcome back. We have been chatting with David Markovich, who is a Slack consultant. Uh, David has demystified the topic of Slack and why it's so important. And why uh, actually Slack is uh, perhaps in some cases a better platform than email. Um, we've been talking a little bit about his background. David, um, thank you again for, for joining us. So the other area of your expertise, we've been chatting about uh, how you have been involved in an effort to uh, to engage and recruit folks that are AMAs, Ask Me Anything. And um, you are an internet marketing consultant. So in our remaining few minutes on the program, I'd like to ask you for your advice for a startup, uh, small business startup entrepreneur that might be out there listening tonight. What tips do you have for somebody that's just getting going, just establishing their web presence and trying to obviously, like every small business owner, get the word out about their products or services? What tips do you have for a startup? Yeah, so if I knew the answer to that, I think I would be a lot more successful than I am now. Uh, But it's everything's industry specific. So some, you know, industries do really well on Instagram. Others do really well on Reddit and Quora and writing blog posts and doing paid on either Facebook or Google. Um, but overall you want to every industry, and this is pretty agnostic that you want your reputation and you want, um, your reputation to be very transparent. So, if you have, if you're a small business, reviews carry a lot of weight, whether it's on like Google or Yelp, um, even Foursquare, anything that has the ability for the, for stars to end up in the search. So if you Google Mike's Barbershop, you want as many five, many options, as many options to see the reviews as possible, even if that means yellow pages. So you could target some of your customers and say, Hey, for these 20 customers, could you leave a review on Google? These 20 customers, can you leave a review on Yelp? These 20 customers, hey, we get a lot of visits from Yellow Pages. Could you leave reviews here? So when someone Googles your barbershop, they see all 10 results or even more if they go to the next page or at least a large chunk of the results have five stars, uh, assuming you're giving a good service. And that uh, that helps a lot. And, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of encouragement for people to use your service or become a customer or patient or, you know, whatever you're trying to target. Um, if you get any negative reviews, answer them, address them, try to fix it. And, uh, I guess that's a pretty good tip for small business. Sure. I know that's very, very helpful. And I know that, um, that's helpful for small business owners, but you have, um, you have been an avid public speaker at universities, um, various meetups and large enterprises too. Do you believe that the same, uh, lessons hold true for a small business that may not yet employ anybody, as well as for big companies like a Microsoft and a Google. Ultimately, is the same that same uh, lesson and message as well. Right. So, 
With when I, so I mostly work in large corporations. I don't I don't normally work with small businesses, except if they're my own. Um, so with with large corporations, they're usually siloed, right? So you mentioned Microsoft. Um, so they might have like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, you know, the Office Suite. They also might have Xbox, and they also have, you know, maybe a tablet, or they also have Windows. And at some point, they had a phone. So, so with those, you with corporations, instead of coming in and saying, "Hey, solve our marketing problems," getting more, you try to get as targeted as possible. You say, "Hey, where could you use the most help?" And you, you know, you find a department that where you think you could be really strong in. Going from there, find a strategy that works. Try to promote. Try to work with it across other, you know, corporation other departments in that corporation. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. So, uh, David, we are uh, rapidly running out of time, and I want to make sure that people can learn more. Um, what's the website that we could send people to? Uh, you could just, I mean, pretty much everything online, online is updated, but um, if you want, you could check out the community. It's called OnlineGeniuses.com. OnlineGeniuses.com. Check it out. David Markovich, thanks so much for joining us on Get Down to Business. We'll uh, be sure to check in with you in future weeks. Once again, OnlineGeniuses.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday right here on AM560. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.